everybody do me a favor, pull out this missions sheet as an insert in your bulletin. At the end of the year, every year, we raise money to help people. We raise money for missions. And it's been such a huge blessing. And we've got some great opportunities. On the first side, you see something that says Nepal Engagement Alliance. Let me tell you what that is. About six years ago, uh, a group of believers in this city, to show you how God is working in the city, chose this entire country to raise money to share the gospel and reach unreached people groups. Unreached people groups are people that have the same language, same culture, eat the same food, kind of see the world the same way. And there's like 56 unreached people groups in Nepal. Well, in six years, each of the 56 unreached people groups have been penetrated. The gospel has been shared. People have come to Christ. And there are some fledgling churches and actually some fairly substantial churches in some of these places. Well, now, for for the next phase, the Nepalese church planters have come up with this strategy. They want to share the gospel in every village in Nepal. That's like 82, 84,000 villages, and they've been mapping this out. And they've already figured out what it's going to cost to do it. And so for about $500, you and I can fund a church planner and help a church get started for $500, one-time gift. And some of us were thinking there's no reason why we can't fund 30, maybe 40 churches in the next uh, four, four or five weeks or so. So that's what that's about. Flip over to the other side. <clears throat> This other mission agency called Ames, I'm actually on their board, and they do similar things all over the globe, 41 countries. And so they have some uh, holistic projects that are awesome. In other words, if we can fund a project or two one time, it's going to sustain field workers over and over and over and over. For instance, here's a simple one. There's a young man that's come to Christ He is so passionate about his faith in his very difficult, dangerous country where people are getting killed almost every day. He's he's asking that we would buy a copy machine for $3,000 and he's going to print his own gospel tracts in that country's language and he's going to give them out where all these people are being are gathered. It's courageous. I don't know that I would have the guts to do that, but he's saying, that's what I'm doing. Here's another thing. In a place where there's no clean water, for a little bit of money, I think it's what, nine grand or so, to raise money so Christians in that area can manage this water project and it will actually fund uh, missionaries in their in their community. And the third one, you'd never think about this, but in poor places where women have no means to make a living to fund a sewing business where women sew and make clothes and rugs and other things and actually train others to do it and receive income. And so if we could just help them get started, it would sustain 
missions and the kingdom for many, many years. So if you want to do any of this in the next four weeks, you can put cash in an envelope and just put for this. Or you can write a check, Church of the Savior, and just put Water Project or uh, Nepal Alliance. We'll make sure it gets there. Okay? I'm sorry. Okay? Thank you very much for being so agreeable. Well, Lord, as we study your word today, we trust the Holy Spirit, not men, to make very complex things clear. So teach us today, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Okay, turn to chapter 16 of Revelation. Uh, We've been doing this for about six or seven months, and we left off at verse number 11. And my screen died at the back, so I'm going to have to turn around to see what I'm... You think I'm smart. I just cheat. I just read off the screen. I'm not that smart. It's okay. Okay, but here's my goal, okay? We want to grasp what the Lord is saying in this in this material, this book of Revelation, so very important. And I don't want you to really... Dwell too much on what I say. I want you to dwell on what Jesus said. Because Jesus is behind this book. And these are his words. And your little pastor buddy spends about 30 hours every week with the outline I give you. 30 hours. And uh, so I've invested that time for one reason. This is difficult stuff. And just to read it through, you're probably not going to see the beauty and the power and all the movement in the scriptures. But if I break it down and we kind of do it in line by line story form, I think you and I both will gain a lot more. And what I'm looking for, we want to just see what God wants us to see. That's all. Okay. And we're all going to see some different things. Now. We're there in the passage. Let's start reading. Verse number 12, chapter 16. The sixth angel, everyone say sixth angel, poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Where are they from? And I saw coming out of the mouth, look at the three, of the dragon, the mouth of the beast, the mouth of the false prophet, I saw three unclean spirits like what? Frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. And this is the words of Christ, all of its words of Christ, but he's saying specifically, behold, I am coming like A what? Like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place in Hebrew, which is called Armageddon. Now let's walk through just this first portion. So the sixth angel, John saw, poured his bowl upon this great river, the Euphrates. I have never seen the Euphrates. I've been by the Tigris. That's on my bucket list. I want to see this ancient river. 
And five places in scripture, the Euphrates is called the the Great River. Do you know why it's called the Great River? Because it is a great river. And great things have happened there. It begins from the slopes of Mount Ararat in Turkey. This used to be Armenia. About five years ago, I was in Armenia helping the body of Christ there. And on Sunday morning, I was preaching in an old Russian commissary. And my Armenian driver and translator and pastor friend, we were driving through the capital city. It was a beautiful morning, about 7 o'clock. The sun was shining on this. And I said, oh, 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 oh. And I tried to get my camera out, tried to get my phone out. My driver was driving 60 miles an hour. And then he made it worse. Not only could I not get a picture, he said, oh, guess what, Steve? It only looks this good about three times a year. But he wouldn't stop. This is actually off Google. And uh, the thing the thing about this place, do you know what happened here? This is where Noah's Ark came down. A real man, a real thing, real time in history, a real ship came down here, and all of us in this room are descendants of one of his three sons, all of us. And I told my Armenian friends, they're olive-skinned, dark-haired, and I just said, I want to tell you guys, I'm home. And they looked at me like, home? You don't, you're the ugly old white boy from the South. You're not home? You know, they were puzzled because where I was preaching had these big glass windows, and this is what I was looking at. I just couldn't hardly preach from being mesmerized. I said, I'm home because that ship, came down somewhere halfway on that mountain and his family, the three sons and their wives came and settled in this valley and this is my roots right here. And so this is where the Euphrates starts. It meanders 1,800 miles. I don't know how long the Mississippi is, 600 miles or something like that, but this, this is a very long river and this is stunning <coughs> It is the eastern boundary of what Israel is supposed to have. It is the eastern boundary of what was promised to um, Abraham and promised to Israel. Now, if you look on the map here, look how tiny Israel is. So it goes to the river Egypt, and it goes all the way to the Mediterranean. It goes all the way to the boundary of the Euphrates River. Now, uh, that Israel will get that one day, but Jesus is going to have to do it. There's no government or army that can do that today, and he's going to work it out. Now, the previous bold judgments that we covered last week, we covered five last week. It's my guess, and I, 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 this is a disclaimer. The things that Jesus and the scripture says are spot on, not going to argue with them. My interpretation may be wrong. I may be off how all this plays out, but you trust the words of Christ. But it's my guess that the sun, the water, like becoming thick, is going to make that river dwindle and dwindle and dwindle and dwindle. And what's crazy? This is a recent photograph. Look how dry it is. How that great river has almost just dried up already. 
But I believe God will naturally finish the drying up process because that's what Jesus said would happen. And that river will become a perfect military highway. Look at it. That's what it is like now in some places. Hard, packed earth. And what's going to happen down that river or up the river? The armies of the kings of the east will flood that dry riverbed and they will head toward Israel. Now here's another map. If you don't like maps, I'm sorry. My wife sees me looking at maps. She said, what are you doing? I'm looking at a map. I go, she goes, you're crazy. Why are you just looking at a map for an hour? Because I said, I learned stuff. You can't understand the Bible without understanding some of the maps. So this is the Persian Gulf. Do you see Kuwait right there? See it? Everybody say, do you, I see it. Do you see it? You see Iraq. You see Iran. You see Saudi Arabia. The United Arab Emirates, Oman. This is a perfect channel for the navies of the world to start their, their offensive against Israel. All you got to do is come up that Gulf, disembark at Kuwait. It's where you get the dry riverbed, the Euphrates. See Kuwait down in the bottom there? And you got a perfect military venue. Now, why are they going to do this? Number one reason is God is going to be behind it. He's going to draw these armies to attack Israel because he wants to pay them back for their rebellion against them. What goes around does come around. These are Turkish Marines. There'll be a lot of countries. America will be in this some way. I don't know if we're going to be taken out before this war happens and we don't really exist in power or if we join against Israel, but we're not going to help Israel. My guess. And this is pure speculation, okay? Other than God drawing them, why would these presidents, why would these rulers and dictators want to mass their forces and attack, attack tiny little Israel? One is because I'm thinking they may rebel against the Antichrist. Because he's made Jerusalem a place of his rule. That's where he has helped rebuild the temple, where his image is worshipped. And some of these countries will get tired of it. They will get tired of his taxes. They'll get tired of his pressure and the thuggery that he does to them. Or, and they will observe his failure. That he's a fallen man and a fallen politician. Do you know politicians make promises all the time and they don't keep them? And they say they will fix things and things get worse instead of being fixed. And so when he doesn't alleviate the suffering of their people like water and energy and uh, sunlight and all kind of things, they may say it's time to take him out. And we can take him out. Now, if you, if you notice the drawing on the left, 
This is why you need to know the whole Bible. You need to read. I think Christians ought to read through the Bible every single year because it's just not a bunch of standalone stories. It's all one story. And so Daniel was summoned as an advisor to Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar had a very horrible dream that messed him up. And he said, in this dream, I saw this huge statue and it was in the plain and the head of it was gold. And then it was silver, the chest and arms. And then there was a bronze kind of across the stomach. And then there were legs of iron. Then there were feet with 10 toes. And Daniel gave him the interpretation and said, Oh, king, you're the head of gold. You're the greatest king ever. And these are the nations that will mess with Israel primarily. The Greeks, Alexander the Great, the Persians who held them captive, the Romans, the two legs. The Rome had two wings of the empire, east and west. That's what you see by the legs, that they marched everywhere they went. <clears throat> and there's a secret in that picture. The ten toes are a fifth kingdom that is yet to come. And that fifth kingdom, the ten toes, represent ten nations that are under one man. And he said, they have iron in them. They are strong. They are brutal. They don't put up with any dissent. They will crush any dissent. They will step on you and crush you. But they're mingled with clay. Therefore, they are brittle. And there's a stone uncut by human hands will one day come and crush it all, but it will hit the feet. Another reason is just hatred of the Jews, which is anti-Semitism. In the days ahead, it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. Just watch the news. And my guess, some of these nations will be they will hear demons speaking to the leaders. They will hear and they will ramp up their hatred for Israel. And they will say, well, it's your God that brought all these plagues. Aren't you Jewish? It's your Jewish God that did all this. And so we're going to pay you back for what you've done for us. Point number D. We read the unholy trinity which is the dragon, which is Satan, the beast, which is the Antichrist, and his associate, the false prophet. We see in the verse where they release from their mouths, which means they're summoning dark forces. And what they're summoning, the scripture says, they are unclean spirits. Everyone say unclean spirits. Unclean spirits are demons. Unclean spirits are fallen angels. And they mess with you every day of your life. They lie to you. They speak to your head. They tell you you're a loser. They tell you you're no good. They tempt you. Here's what Jesus said about them. If you love Jesus... And you've given your heart to him. He said, I've given you authority. Everyone say authority over all unclean spirits. 
You don't have to listen to their lies. You don't have to let them boss you around. You don't have to let them take your life and ruin your life. You can command them and tell them to go. Now, these three unclean spirits, my guess, are especially powerful. And they are very deceptive and extremely wicked. And as your pastor, I just want to remind you of something. My mouth and your mouth can summon things from the spirit world. Did you know that? The spirit world is more important than this world. Because the spirit world controls this world to a large degree. Now, you've been given authority over the spirit world. But the spirit world, which is unclean spirits, you can summon fear. If you talk about how afraid you are, I will never say that myself. Because if I say it, I got it. They will tell you to doubt the truth of scriptures. You can doubt how you were the scriptures that were taught you as a child. Do not listen and play with doubt. Reject it. Starve your doubt. Doubt never does anything to help you. Doubt is always, now you can wrestle with the truth, but doubt will always lead you down a dark path. Anger, it'll tell you to get mad, tell you to hold a grudge, tell you to get, uh, to hate, to be bitter. You can be discouraged. I, as a pastor, I will never say I'm discouraged. I will never say it. I used to say it. But I will never let that come out of my mouth. Because if I say I'm discouraged, I'm just dead in the water. If I say I am overwhelmed, I'll never say that again. If I say that, I'm in trouble. If I say I'm depressed, I am depressed. I never talk, go around talking about how tired I am. I never go around talking about how I can't take something. No, I can do all things through Christ. Because whatever comes out of my mouth is not what goes into a man that makes him unclean. It's what comes out of his mouth, Jesus said. But you can also summon the Holy Spirit's power. You can summon the ministry of angels. You can summon up the Spirit of God inside you. You can build your faith. You can build your hope. You can build your strength by what comes out of your mouth. You can, I tell my wife every day, I love her. Do you know why? I love her more than I've ever loved her before. I say it. When you get up in the morning, when you get in the shower, you start getting dressed, you should say things like, Jesus, thank you for this great day. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm a child of the living God. There's nothing, no weapon that formed against me will prosper. I am an overcomer. I don't get overcome. I'm an overcomer. With all things, it is possible. You have to speak the words of faith. Throughout the day. And I would say the morning will set your heart and your head for the rest of the day. Now you can talk yourself into sickness. You can talk yourself into an early death. People say, well, 
You know, my granddad had arthritis and my dad had arthritis. I'll guess I'll have it too. You don't have to have it. Or my mother died from breast cancer and my grandmother died from breast cancer and she's 50. I guess I'm, I'm, I will die of breast cancer. Well, if you say it, you will. Instead, you can say, I will live a long, healthy, strong life. And Jesus is the one that keeps me because the scripture says death and life are in the power of your tongue. Someone say amen. Man, this is good preaching today. Oh my goodness. I'm going to come back next week just to see what happens. And the scripture says that these, these spirits were, had the appearance of frogs. It's kind of hard to see what that would look like. Maybe like these cutie pies, maybe, no? or like this one. It's not easy But they are unclean spirits. And the scripture in the Old Testament, these were something you didn't have for breakfast because it was against the Jewish dietary law because it was not good for you. Persian mythology said that it was frogs that helped produce plagues. But these things are cold-blooded killers. These spirits that come. So these unholy spirits, here's what's amazing. They will perform miracles, signs and wonders in front of these kings These dictators, these generals, these three have already lined up. Iran, Turkey, and Russia, they're already in treaty. And they will invade Israel sooner or later. And so when these leaders are enticed by these unclean spirits, these this huge army from the east, which is Asia, will move their forces toward Israel. And, you know, thinking about what we talked about last week and connected with this week, it's amazing to me. These countries took such a thumping in the previous chapters. They didn't have clean water. They got sores all over their body. And my guess is they still have their sores and they're going to be riding in vehicles or helicopters. They're going to be in pain. There's not going to be much water and they're going to be doing it in the dark unless the Lord flips the switch so they can see where they are going. Let me just make things applicable for you. How many history lovers do I have in the room? A history lover too. Okay. Invasion of Normandy, June 6, 1944. We deposited 185,000 troops on the French soil. And I'm not counting the 15 or 19,000 paratroopers, British and America, but 185,000. Is that a lot of men? Yes or no? It's a lot of men. Napoleon 
bad idea, decided he was going to invade Russia and take it. It's not a good plan, but he did it anyway. He took his best soldiers, 600,000, and they marched from Paris, and they got as far as Moscow. They never fought a battle because the Russians just retreated and burned everything, all their food, houses, everything. And uh, Napoleon lost 400,000 men. That's a, that's a lot of men. We lost 60,000 in Vietnam. They lost 400,000 in 12 weeks. And then they had to walk back. Did I miss something? They had to walk back from Moscow to Paris in this with no clothing, no food. Piles of them just frozen to death, 600,000. Now, Hitler didn't get any smarter. He invaded Russia, 1941, three million of his best troops. He lost just about all of them, three million. Okay, what's the punchline, Steve? Here's the punchline. There's the punchline. Jesus gave us the number of the army moving toward the west. Do you remember the number? It's 200 million, not 200,000. This confederation is serious. Serious. You say, Steve, that's a big number. It is a big number. Do you believe it? Well, Jesus said it. I didn't say it. So if he said it, I believe it. Okay? Now, uh, by the way, would that put a lot of pressure? Would that put a lot of pressure on that region? All right. Remember, Revelation is about pressure to get men to turn. Revelation is about glorifying Jesus. Revelation is about punishing evil once and for all. That's what the book of Revelation is about, those three things. Now, Scripture goes on, and we read it, states that not only the eastern armies will collide, but now the kings of most of the civilized world will invade Israel too. It's a competition. This is, this is like, these are German troops, and Germany will be involved in this also. Now, the whole purpose is to bring glory to the Father because this is called the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. The war ends one way. Do you know how the war ends? It's not good for the bad boys. It ends because Jesus shows up. Are you excited about Jesus coming back? Say hello. Do you know when it's going to happen? I do not know when. But we keep, we keep moving rapidly closer and closer to this. Now, here's the warning for us. <clears throat> here's the takeaway. Here's what I want you to think about tonight as you go to sleep. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. What is it? That Jesus said, I'm coming like a thief. Everyone say thief. What does it mean if Jesus is coming like a thief? It means he's coming at an hour. There's nobody on the planet can tell you when. Nobody, and I'm not going to. Jesus said himself, I don't even know. Only the Father knows that day. Now, we can know the seasons. 
We can watch stuff and go, oh, wow, that's significant. Scripture talks about that. But that's what it means he's coming back as a thief. Because as a thief catches a household by surprise, Jesus will catch the unbelieving world. Those that have rejected Christ take them by surprise when he comes back. And the day of mercy is over. No more mercy when he comes back. And if you, there's a parallel passage to this, if you've ever read it, I hope you have. It's Matthew 24. It talks about the same things. And Jesus said, he said, when I come back, it's going to be like this. Like what? People are going to be getting married. People are going to be eating and drinking and building houses. It's just going to be like regular life to a lot of people. And they will think, I've got all the time in the world to get right with God, but they never do. Do you have any friends like that? Hold your hand up. I do. People I love with all my heart that's not right with God. And they say, oh, I don't need that. I don't need Jesus. I don't need to repent. I'm good. They say that I'm good. I don't think so. And before you know it, the house of cards all comes down. And folks, things can change in one day. Well, what's the take home, Steve, for being that he's coming back as a thief? Here's a take takeaway. <clears throat> one, believers do not have to be afraid of it, this. Why? Because I don't think believers will be on the planet during this time. But Jesus' admonition applies to all Christians because it's in the book. Well, how does it apply to all Christians? One, we should be watchful. We should know what's going on in our culture, in our city, in the world. Jesus said, blessed is the one who stays awake. They're not sleeping at their post. Do you see important things happening almost every week in our culture? I do. Some of it's unbelievable. Never would have thought that 10 years ago, but here we are. Here we are. And we need to be alert. Everyone say alert. What is the Lord saying to me? What does he want me to do? How can I help? What should I be giving my time and my energy to? And then another point we should be walking in holiness. Everyone say holiness. Do you know what that means? It means you're, you're not walking perfectly, but your heart is to please God. And when you mess up, you repent quickly and you get back up and you do the right thing. And the words he said in this passage in Revelation, you keep your clothes. You don't go around spiritually naked. That when I show up, I don't want you to be ashamed by your lifestyle. And last, or next to last, we ought to be serving. You know, there's, it's a temptation, and I know some of us retire and we transition. We're not teaching at the school or working at Lexmark. That's good. But listen to the Lord. I tell folk here 
that a Christian should be at your best between the ages of 60 and 85, maybe 90, because you should have more wisdom, you should be more loving, you should have more faith, you should be able to help people, you should be able to pray like never before, all because you've been walking a long time with the Lord. So don't feel like, well, you're too old. No, you need to stay in the game because the time is coming when nobody can work anymore because Jesus is back. It's light now. We can work. We can do what the Lord asks us to do. And the last is we need to be serious about the things of the Lord. I don't think most Christians are serious about the things of the Lord. They're serious about their things. They're not serious about his things, things he cares about. Now, switching gears here. You ready? How many are still here today? You still here? Okay. Okay. No stampede. No one's throwing rocks. Thank you. Okay. Now, these armies are going to merge. They're going to focus on a place to merge. <clears throat> and the scripture tells us where it is. It's a hill. In Hebrew, the word har means hill. Megiddo means the hill of Megiddo. And there it is right there. See it? Has anybody ever been there? Hold your hand up. You ever been there? It's an awesome place. Eisenhower stood on that hill looking over that valley. Napoleon stood on that hill looking over that valley. Say, man, this is a perfect battlefield if there ever has been a battlefield. Mount Megiddo is an important hilltop. Castles and forts were always built on hilltops because of the view and it's hard to take them in the background it's called the Jezreel Valley everyone say Jezreel Valley that's the Jezreel Valley now a little bit of a different view I want you to see something it's at a strategic crossroad do you see the highways would that be yes thank you Now, that asphalt is not this old, but the road is 4,000 years old, maybe five. Why is it strategic? I'll tell you. It's 60 miles north of Jerusalem. See the map? See Jerusalem? See Megiddo? And that Jezreel Valley, let's go back. Oh, not on that one. The Jezreel Valley is about 30 miles long. Do you see it? Jezreel Valley, Mount Tabor, where Jesus was transfigured. Megiddo, Jezreel, Mount Gilboa is where Saul was killed. Mount Carmel is where uh, Samuel, I'm sorry, Elijah defeated the false prophets. And it's about 14 12 to 14 miles across. It's a tremendous corridor. <clears throat> this is what is called Mount Precipice. This is in Nazareth. Everyone say Nazareth. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in where? Nazareth. I would guess, and that's looking South, south is this direction, looking south toward Megiddo. And my guess is Jesus probably played on his hillside as a boy. It's also where the town, 
when they didn't want him saying what he said in the synagogue tried to throw him off. It didn't work. But I'm sure as a teenager, just like I did as a teenager, Jesus roamed these hills, maybe sat with his father Joseph, and my guess is the lure of this beautiful valley, I'm sure as he spent times praying to his heavenly father, I'm wondering what he thought about. knowing part of his destiny was in that valley. Now, this is a scale model of Megiddo during Solomon's reign. Look at the strong gate complex, very difficult to take. It's on a hillside. This is storage uh, compartments under the ground. Look at this. This is a huge temple uh, uh, stable complex for horses. Uh, the kings of Israel were told not to multiply wives, silver, horses because the Lord didn't want them depending on the military, but on him. But did Solomon do what he was told? No. I think there was room for like 3,000 horses up there in those stables. Now, this is another pastor. I don't know him, but I wanted you to see that. You can see Nazareth right there. You can see Mount Tabor right there, but I want you to know this is the same venue, the Hittites, from what is the day Turkey came down and fought. It's where the Egyptians fought. The Syrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the French, and the British in World War I. Are you getting the message? What is the message? This is a pretty important place. Now here's a map I want to show you. Okay, can you see Megiddo? See it right here? And you got the main road, the Via Maris. It goes right up the coast. It runs right through Megiddo. So, If you're going south to Africa, you're going south to Egypt, you go by Megiddo. If you're going north to Syria, Persia, Assyria, Babylon, Rome, you go by Megiddo. The desert, see the desert? Is to the east. The Mediterranean is to the west. If you're going anywhere in this region, you're going through Megiddo. Look at this. This hilltop, this castle, has been assaulted, taken, destroyed, rebuilt 20 times. All right on top of each other. Now, the scripture says this massive army that will be coming... They are sea. This is a Russian warship. By air, these are Chinese helicopters. By land, 
they will all converge on the plains around Megiddo. Of course, the whole region, that part of that Middle East, will blow up. Now, I'm going to try to do this quickly. Let's do the last part, okay? Is this making sense to you, yes or no? Okay, verse number 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. A loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, notice, such as had never been on the planet since the time of man. And the cities of the nations felt, fell. The great city was split into three parts, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. This is interesting too. And every island fled away, and there was no mountains found. And great hailstones, everyone say hailstones, about a hundred ounces each. A hundred pounds each fell from heaven on people, the ones that cursed and blasphemed God because the plague was so severe. Let me show you what this kind of means and looks like. Seventh angel pours his bowl in the atmosphere. God from the throne and the temple in heaven says, it is done. The final bowl will complete all of God's wrath right before the coming of Christ except for one thing. At the end of the millennium, a lot of mystery, a lot of stuff I don't understand, when there's a final rebellion, when Satan is let out of the abyss, God will bring judgment again against those rebels. It is done is best translated this way. It is done, but it remains done forever. Everyone say hallelujah. Finished. And I'm glad it's finished. But this seventh bowl will usher in. I've read this for years and I never saw this. This will be the greatest calamity the world has ever seen. Of course, you will not be there. And God is punctuating something. The completion of his wrath with this enormous earthquake. More powerful than any earthquake in history. And the great city, Jerusalem, everyone say Jerusalem, will split into three parts. Not as judgment, but some kind of improvement, my conjecture. Now, here's a map that's maybe 150 years old. The map has one thing in particular I want you to see. The map has the three valleys of Jerusalem. Do you see them? Why is that important? I'll show you. The name of God used by a committed Jew is represented by the letter Shin. Everyone say Shin. They would not say his name because it was so holy. 
and they would use an abbreviation, which was a single letter out of the Hebrew alphabet. And it was this kind of twisted W that they called Shin. And Shin is short for Shaddai. Everyone say Shaddai, which means the Almighty. I was with Jewish leaders in Jerusalem in May, and this former member of the Knesset, he and his wife kept using the word Hashem. I didn't know what that meant. They used it over and over. It was their name for God. It was this word. It was an abbreviation. The letter Shin appears on a mezuzah. The thing in the right is a mezuzah. It comes from Deuteronomy 6, where you take the law of the Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And they would roll up little papers and put it in a bronze or wood or pure silver little box and screw it to the door frame of their house. And whenever they would come in, they would touch it as a prayer. And I want you to see that shin, see the, see the unusual W, the shin, is at the top. And what a Jew would mean by putting that on their house is he's saying, Lord, my house is your house. I think it's absolutely beautiful. So when you look down from the top at the topography of Jerusalem, it looks, Second Chronicles 6 says, I have chosen Jerusalem that my name may be there. So when you see the three valleys, see the three valleys on the right? God looks down and he sees his name. And a person told me at the first service too that the Jews believe that the shin is on your heart too because you have two chambers and God's name is on every person's heart that's ever lived. That they their heart belongs to God, not to the devil and not to themselves. So now this is conjecture. My conjecture is this may be the only city that is not devastated by this earthquake. I don't know that for sure, but the scripture tells us that Jerusalem is going to change. The topography of Jerusalem will change. It is surrounded by hills and mountains, and there's not a lot of water there. There will be abundant water after that earthquake. And it's setting up, again, my thought, for Jerusalem to be the center of Jesus' capital during the millennium. I think, it, I think it's really exciting. And in chapter 16, you see the early construction projects. And what's also cool about the city is the repentance of God's people, the Jews, who find the Messiah and repent of their sin and idolatry, become worshipers because they know the Messiah now. And that, that, as a brand new Christian 50 years ago, we used to sing Psalm 48. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion at the side of the north, the city of the great king. I could almost sing that. 
So for the Lord's purposes for the cities of the world, it's going to be a very different worship team. Would you guys come on? Well, how's it going to be different? The scripture told us they're going to be devastated by this earthquake and especially one city like no other. And I don't know if Babylon is a code word for New York, Paris, London. I have no idea. Or it's going to be rebuilt Babylon in Iraq. But God is reserving extra special hard times for that Antichrist's capital. And even mountain ranges will be rearranged. And here's something crazy. I've read this for 50 years. I never figured it out. I had no idea. I'm not even sure I'm right now. But the tsunamis caused by the earthquake will probably shift the placement of islands all over the globe. God's recreating his kingdom. Slabs of ice, hailstones will fall from the sky. Up to a 100 pounds. You see the hailstones in this lady's hand that she picked up out of her yard. I don't know. They probably weigh four ounces, five ounces, six ounces. What would that feel like if that hit you in the head from 15,000 feet at about 100 miles an hour? Would that mess your makeup on? Makeup a little bit? Look what it does to cars. That's hardened, hardened glass. Look at that. I'll show you another picture. This is the largest hailstone ever photographed. South Dakota, 16 inches across and two pounds. That would make you walk different, wouldn't it, if I hit you in the head? And these hailstones are going to drop on the pumpkins. Ever say pumpkins? On the heads of people who think it's really wise to curse God and blaspheme. I think if I watched my neighbor get his head exploded, I would think, I don't think I'll say that. I think I'll be sweet. I think I'll ask for forgiveness. You know what weighs 100 pounds? You know what weighs 100 pounds? A baby hippopotamus. How would you like to have that dropped in your lap from 10,000 feet? Or what else weighs 100 pounds? Is an air conditioning unit. How'd you like? To, I've run into those over my head. That's not fun. I don't want one dropped on me. Or four cases of two liters. Four cases. So my guess is the chapter ends with this beautiful thing. The Lord Construction's project is starting. And he's getting ready for the millennium. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I think it'd be good if we thought maybe the rest of this week that I'm coming back like a thief. What does that mean? What do I do with my time? Who do I give my love to? How can I be about the Lord's business in the time we've got? And I don't know if this will be 40 years from now or coming really, really soon. I don't know. But it is coming. 
So I want to open the altar, as we always do. If you're not right with God, why don't you get right with God today? Don't walk out of here as a lost person. If you're not obeying the Lord and you know he's speaking to you, why don't you just come up here and get on your knees and humble yourself and say, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do. Just tell me. So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. It is true. And even the things that are hard, it's still good. Lord, speak to your people about being ready, about being alert, about being focused, about not listening to unclean spirits. Release your power, Holy Spirit, in this room today. And for anyone watching online or here, If they're ready to commit their life to Christ forever, pray with me and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my heart today and be my Savior and Lord. I give you everything today. Make me your child. The altar is open as we worship. all stand as we worship.
Lord Jesus, we've never loved you more than today. And we praise your name. Use us to bring you glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, there's people to pray with you. Serve him well. Pick up your children. Have a great day.